On episode nine of Unmet Need, I interview Holly Rillinger. Holly is the founder of the Lifted Health and Wellness Program. Holly's career started as a professional basketball player. She went on to become a Nike master trainer, published a best-selling book, and is a national speaker sharing her true underdog story, helping companies build better leadership, overcome adversity, and deliver results. Hope you enjoy the episode. Holly, I'm so glad you could be on Unmet Need. It's great to talk to you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. All right, quick background. Holly is my coach. I was introduced to the Lifted program and really inspired because what Holly is doing is incorporating meditation, strength, nutrition, wellness, and yoga. And it's all delivered through video conference. So my wife, Robbie, was introduced to Holly first through an old friend. Then as I watched my wife's, not only her fitness get so much better, but also her overall state of mind. Anyway, that's the quick background, but why don't we, uh, just to start off, Holly, let's learn about you and put it on a timeline. Where'd you grow up and tell us about your background? Yeah, great. Uh, it sounds great to hear you say I'm your coach too. Thanks for that. Thanks for that shout out. That's awesome. I'm a Midwestern girl. My parents grew up on farms in Kansas. I was born in a suburb of Kansas City and I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then when I was 13, my parents moved us to Virginia. So very happy to have these Midwestern roots, but also very happy to have had made it to a coast. So I get a little bit of the best of both worlds there. Were your parents in the agriculture business or in, in farming? My grandparents were, my parents weren't. We would still visit my grandparents' farm though. My grandparents had dairy farm. They grew corn and wheat. So my earliest childhood memories were riding around on tractors with my grandfather, feeding the cows, milking the cows. My parents didn't end up staying on the farm. They, they got out and my dad got into a, a telephone company called Centel that later merged with Sprint. So that brought us to the big city of Lincoln, Nebraska. And so when you moved to Virginia at 13, had you already started eighth grade? Seventh grade, you have kids, so you know, seventh grade is a terrible year in general, or at least a year of a lot of transition. So I was in three different schools in the seventh grade. That year is ultimately what drove me to basketball. You know, I really had a hard time and basketball was something that I started to become pretty good at. And I, for lack of a better word, hid there because it was the one place that I felt safe and out of a lot of tragedy comes triumph. I'm really now grateful for that seventh grade year because it really pushed me to become good at something and excel at something and be something amongst a year of really a lot of trauma and just really mean seventh graders. What was so difficult about it for you? So we, we grew up in Nebraska. Um, I went to Catholic school. We had uniforms. There were four kids. We didn't have a lot of money. Moved to a public school straight out of the gates, didn't have the same clothes that everyone else had. I remember people checking my labels to see if I was wearing Outback Red or Forenza, which were like the, the labels back then. And there, there was just no way I could catch up. There's no way I could keep up. My parents didn't have that kind of money. So socially, I just had a really hard time. I think in just in general, too, I was more of a shy kid. So put those two things together. And it was just a really tough year for me. And had you played basketball or did you discover the sport when you moved to Virginia? So I had started in Nebraska and I, I was pretty good at it. Basketball was one of the only things I could do alone. You know, I was good at soccer. I was good at baseball. I was good at tennis, golf. I really did it all. But my neighbor had a basketball hoop and it was the one thing I could go and practice on by myself. Didn't need anybody else. And I really excelled at it for that reason. 
I didn't have to have anybody else around. Now, birth order-wise, with three siblings, where do you stand? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Danny, your brothers or sisters like basketball? Ask them that, and they'll say I ruined basketball for the, for the family. <laughs> because <laughs> I, was, I remember people comparing my sister to me, and it was very traumatic for her. So then she owned soccer. And she, I remember her saying, you can't play soccer. That's my sport. This is what I'm going to be good at. Um, and my brothers, too, they all got into soccer. I also think soccer wasn't as big of a deal when I uh, was growing up. Like, basketball and baseball were pretty big deals. But my younger siblings, soccer started to gain a little bit in their age group. No, no other basketball players in the family. When you started playing basketball in Virginia, at what age did coaches and teams see your potential and say, you know, we got to get Holly into the most competitive arenas? Eighth grade was a turning point for me. I had changed schools again. So I, went, I was in my third school in seventh grade and the coach at that school asked me if I want to do a basketball camp. And I went to MVP basketball camp in Pennsylvania. It was my first camp I went to. I still remember the t-shirt. And there was a point guard there, but she was five foot two and she played in the Olympics. And I remember listening to her and I remember her story. And I remember just connecting to the belief that anything is possible. If this short little girl can play basketball. And it was me and some twins. And we were the prominent eighth graders on that team. And we we're all about five, three. And I went head to head directly with these twins. Again, talk about sometimes the thing that is, feels the worst is the best thing for you. I was always challenged to be as good as they were because they were dynamic. They were a dynamic duo. Plus they were twins, which, you know, everybody wants a good story. They were twins. So I had to outshine them year in and year out. And ninth grade, we all made varsity. 10th grade, we were all starting. 10th grade, we won the state championship. 11th grade, we won the, we won the runners up. And 12th grade, we won the state championship. So in about eight, 10th grade, I started getting letters from colleges. And I feel bad for kids now that might get just emails because it was so exciting to go to the mailbox every day and see what colleges had written me and open the letters. And, you know, by my senior year, I had boxes of letters. I think I was recruited by maybe 150 different schools around the country. And man, it, it was just like a dream. It was a fairy tale high school four years because I, I really set my goals on becoming something. I was an on, underdog. I had a terrible entry into seventh and eighth grade. I listened to this underdog talk at a camp and I went on to become the state player of the year, beating out the twins my senior year and going on to play uh, uh, on a college scholarship. That's an amazing story. Now with these twins, it's always difficult to compete with your teammates. And when you're competing with your friends for, to start or to get accolades, like, you know, player of the year, state player of the year, did you become friends with them? And did you find your tribe on that team? Yeah, we were. You know, it was a really interesting friendship because we knew we were vying for everything. We were vying for the picture in the paper the next day. We were vying to be the top scorer, the top in assists. We were vying for everything. But somehow we managed to work as a team and really put the goals of the team above everything else. And that is something to be proud of because we could have, it can always work in the opposite direction when everybody gets a little bit too selfish and doesn't have the ability to work as a team. I'm not friends with them anymore, but only because we've moved on. Uh, but I'm sure if we saw each other, it would be all good vibes. Of course. Now, when you started getting these boxes of letters, you know, being the oldest, what did your parents think? Were they recruited athletes as well? No, I mean, my mom didn't go to college. My dad went to a community college. My dad was an athlete 
in high school. He was the quarterback on the football team and the captain of the basketball team, but in a small town in Kansas, farming community in Kansas. I mean, it was outrageously exciting to have Gino Ariema come and sit in your in your uh, living room and the year after they lost in the final four and to be crying almost as he's recruiting you and to have the UVA coach come and sitting in your living room it was it was hard to express how exciting it was it was next level can imagine have you seen the the Michael Jordan documentary the third person that asked me that just today yes I haven't finished I haven't finished it yet I'm hoping to finish it tonight actually but man that was my era you know, I uh, I didn't have any female role models to look up to. They weren't visible. Like, we didn't know who they were really so much. So Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, Dominique Wilkins, Spud Webb, like, that was my genre. Like, so to watch those, to watch that documentary and see all that, I remember those games. It was an amazing time in basketball. And I bring it up, and I don't mean to be the third person to talk about this, but I really was moved by the drive. You know, something that I've been exploring recently is driven behavior. And it's just when you, you do something almost unconsciously and the way Michael Jordan's motivation to always win and at all costs, at any cost. And, you know, the documentary, it's, you know, it's just somebody we grew up with who's a larger than life figure. But understanding the amount of energy and competitive spirit that he had to put into that, in, in some ways, it was almost pathologic and it hurt him. And anytime I talk to somebody as successful as you, I'm always interested in where your drive comes from. And what do you think of the idea of a driven behavior? It's so interesting that this is coming out now because I've had this conversation with, with Jen, my fiance, and sometimes... I've had this feeling over the years where people look up to me because I'm so driven. And sometimes I've had this urge to say, you should look up to people who live a balanced life. <laughs> like I, we put people like myself or pro athletes on a pedestal, but in all honesty, there was so much of life I missed out on. I missed out on pop culture. I missed out on dating. I missed out on all these things that make somebody a, a truly developed person without a doubt i had arrested development it wasn't probably until i was 29 or 30 that i paid my own rent or i had my own credit card or i didn't know how to put a resume together but i'd i had reached the the top of my field and i knew everything about being dedicated disciplined coachable i knew about leadership i knew about failure i was fully equipped but to use the word pathological is spot on like it's it's overboard it's so overboard and i'm not saying that's bad and it, it's definitely what it takes to be the top at anything it takes countless hours it takes not missing a day it takes grinding and grinding and grinding to where nothing else exists it, it takes your parents almost not having a life because they're driving you and buying for you and taking and doing and your siblings hating you to some degree because it's the holly show so it's a really interesting balance to look at. It's not until now in my 40s that I've actually started to live a balanced life because that doesn't just fade away. You know, it doesn't just one day, oh, I'm balanced now. I'm not playing basketball anymore. It, go, it trickles into every part of your life. I mean, it can also be about being extremely critical of yourself, your physical body, your not ever being able to rest or take a break. So being a workaholic was something I dealt with. You know, when the boutique fitness scene exploded in New York City, you know, doing two, three, four classes a day is not unusual. You know, not like feeling guilty by I'm taking a day off. I'm really proud of the coach that I am now because I can look back 
and I can, I can say I've seen this path. I can see what that path did to my body for better or for worse. A lot of times for worse. I can see what it did for any kind of relationships I had in my life. And I'm so grateful that I have a partner now that opened up my eyes to putting it down taking a day off, taking two days off, in fact, not worrying about it so much, you know, eating a donut for breakfast, you know? So it's a really interesting paradigm, you know, being so driven and not, and uh, where it gets you versus what it might take away from you as well. You know, you mentioned that it's something to do with maybe your age and getting some experience, but was there any specific catalyst where you said this achievement driven behavior, I, I, I need to look at this differently? I mean, I think that it took me putting the ball down to really look at it. When I was in it, I saw nothing but the top. And I, I made it to the WNBA, but I made it as a free agent. I didn't get drafted. And I made it in preseason and for just a couple games, and then I got cut. And for me, that was such a massive failure of my life. You know, my 20 years of absolute dedication and in a lot of ways I dismissed that I made it to France and two years in Germany and I led the country in scoring in New Zealand and took them to the championship and all of that I dismissed and would could only look at my career as a failure and you know what a, what a travesty to to really measure it on one thing and to discount all the years of drive and dedication and relentless pursuit and passion and everything that comes from being that way you know the upsides of you know learning how to operate at a different standard in life so when i stopped and i realized and i could look back on that i didn't realize all the tools i'd gained to make myself employable make myself an interesting person you know the struggles define you you know as a as a human being and so looking back it took me putting the ball down to really understand, wow, that was super unhealthy. Perhaps that was super unhealthy. Yeah, what I think is amazing about professional athletes, if they can make it to the collegiate level and then even consider being a professional, what is the average age that people put the ball down? Yeah, 30s. 30s. I mean, if you're a biochemist or you're an astrophysicist or you're an investor, that's the point where your career is actually just starting to blossom. And I can't imagine what it's like to put all that time and energy and achieve and have all these milestones. And then at such a young age, really reinvent yourself. How did you approach that transition? Oh, man, it's, it's something that I don't think is talked about enough. It's a mourning. It's a death of a part of you. I was really depressed. I didn't have an identity. I'd wrapped my entire identity up into Holly being a basketball player. I would remember for probably a good two years after my career ended and people would ask, what do you do? My first thing would be, I used to be a former, I'm a former professional basketball player. Like that was the only way I could feel value in what I was offering as a person. And it took a really long time. And I wasn't one of the people that wanted to continue in the field. Like I didn't want to coach for me. I was a player. And that's all I wanted to do. If I couldn't lace up my shoes beyond the court, I just didn't want to do it. Um, so I think that if you ask most athletes how they feel, it's a death. It's a death of something. It's a mourning period of who am I now? Take some time to figure out how you're going to transition all this stuff that you learned. And that's the key. How can you take that? And find something to apply it to that you're still passionate about. And you may, here's the other thing, you may never be that passionate about something again. I was fully uh, ready 
to live the rest of my life without that much passion anymore because how how could i expect to wake up every day with that much passion again if it wasn't basketball i i just didn't understand how it could happen and it took a while um and i'm so thankful to say now that i am i i wake up every day excited about growing this business excited about helping people and one of my mentors was my strength and conditioning coach in college his name is greg warner he said to me when everything comes full circle is when you take everything that you've done and then you give it back. You take everything you've learned and you find a way to then share it. And I, I found out how to do that. And I, I would almost say it's more rewarding. I would almost say there's days where it feels better than winning a big game. It feels better than being the top scorer because I get to see somebody's life change because of what I'm helping them do. Absolutely. And, and doing it at scale as well. I mean, that's what I think is so amazing about the Lifted program. Being a coach of college basketball team, that's amazing. And sounds like you've had coaches that have had a huge impact, but sometimes 50, 75 people, and they're starting their day having an hour that is going to include two meditations. Like I, I see what you did, by the way, it's 10 minutes in combination. <laughs> yeah. But then also making the connection that after your heart rates at 160 beats per minute, being able to, your term of go from chaos to calm. And for me, that's how I can apply meditation and being present to being nervous for a big presentation or upset about something that my kids are going through. And it all kind of happens while you're sweating and not even really thinking about it, which is amazing. What was the first fitness project that you thought you could really throw yourself into? I got my personal training certification and I started working at a gym just as personal trainer. And I couldn't connect with people that couldn't operate on my level. <laughs> like I distinctly remember this guy I was training and he couldn't bench press this amount of weight and just said, I can't and put the weight down. And I was like, what? <laughs> I just couldn't make the connection. I just, I couldn't connect to anybody that just wasn't all in and just like raring to go. And I think what that told me was I was good at being a player. I wasn't good at being a coach. I needed to find a, I needed to find a way to meet him where he was and inspire him, motivate him in ways that connected to him, not me. Um, so it was a short lived personal training career. Uh, my partner at the time was selling real estate and she had convinced me that this was a great way to make money. And so I started selling real estate. And I always say the greatest part about that was that I got to learn what it's like to do something that I have no interest or passion in doing. <laughs> and I can say a hundred percent for certain, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'd rather make less money doing something that I'm super passionate about. Not to say that I'm making less money, but if I had to choose after living such a, a life filled with passion, showing up, doing an open house about something you just couldn't care less about, like, <laughs> wasn't for me. So I had to go through that. I moved to New York and that's where um, I really found exactly what I wanted to be doing within the fitness space. And I think enough time had passed that I was ready to be a coach. And so how does one become a Nike master trainer? Um, so this was maybe my fifth year into uh, being in the fitness world in New York City. I was teaching spin for a company called Flywheel. 
I was one of their founding instructors. And the reason I chose that is I got to feel like a point guard again. I was in front of a room of 50 people, leading them through an hour of our game, our championship. It just felt right. I was in my zone. And ironically, at the time I was dating this beautiful model. Her name was Paula. And we were sitting having lunch and she was like, ugh. She's like, I'm just so tired of my agent asking me to go to these castings for things that I'm that have no relevance to me. And I was like, what is it? She goes, you should go to this. It's for Nike to be, to be a Nike master trainer. And she's like, he wants me to go and pretend like I'm a trainer. I was like, give me that. And I, I looked to see where it was and I got my stuff together and I basically like crashed the, uh, <laughs> the casting call. Um, I got super prepared. I took all these pictures. I walked in there and I said, I was born for this position. Let me tell you why. And uh, Lexi Shoemaker at the time was uh, leading that. And she said, she'll never forget the moment I walked in. I just owned the room. I owned it because I was sure. I was like, this is what I've been waiting for. Are you kidding me? Let's do this. Um, and they were just starting the program. They really had no idea what it was either. And um, there was uh, two of us in New York. We were sprinkled around the U.S. There were a couple in different countries. And they brought basically the uh, trainers in the world together. Uh, to headquarters in Portland, and I felt like I was representing uh, the fitness community in the Olympics. Like, when they sat us down, they were like, congratulations, you've been chosen to represent your country as a Nike master trainer. And I was just like, oh. every failure I thought I had had in basketball, it was just redeemed. I was recognized by Nike. Michael Jordan was my idol. Like, I was going to wear the swoosh. Like it, it really was a very redemptive moment for me on so many levels um, and went on to do all these exciting projects. I went to Moscow and led a, a workout in Gorky Park in front of 1500 women and traveled to Sweden, just doing all these different um, installations, promoting new shoes or gear or women in training. Um, it was like being a Nike Charlie's angel. They just would call you up and be like, can you go to Moscow tomorrow for a week? And I'd be like, yes, let's go. <laughs> Fire up the jet. I'm there. It's, it I was see. awesome. It was an awesome run. So in, in many ways, they, they recruit these premier athletes who are going to represent the brand. And it sounds like being an ambassador of the Nike brand. Yep. I exactly. see. Oh, what an exactly. awesome job. Yeah. And so how did you get the idea? I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask you, Holly, but I also want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got a million things to do. At what stage in, the, in your fitness career, and I know you, you wrote your book, uh, which is titled Lifted, which is also the title of this, is the program that you've created that I'm a, a proud member of. So when did you start putting the pieces together to create Lifted? So the boutique fitness industry started booming in New York about 2011. And all these little boutique companies were popping up, various boot camp, flywheel, soul cycle, fitting room, all these places. And what was great about it is people were very committed to their brand. They'd wear the sweatshirts. They were part of it. Um, I started doing my own camp at the time I called it training camp and I was starting to bring back everything I learned as an athlete and bring that whole, uh, team mentality, working as a team, leaning on your team, uh, thinking like an athlete mentally. Um, and the more I was in the community and the more I was in the industry, People would say, well, what do I do about nutrition? And, you know, it, there wouldn't be enough time afterwards. I'd be like, oh, well, you know, you should have more protein than this. Why don't you just call me? 
And then they'd be like, oh, I'm hurt. What should I do? Like, and I was like, oh, you probably could have prevented that. You probably should have phone rolled, but I don't have enough time. Maybe you should do a one-on-one. It was always trying to give somebody a little bit more here, here, and still have this group atmosphere. Like I could do it with my one-on-one clients, which I wasn't as passionate about. I love working with a couple people one-on-one because I can really give them my attention, but I love the group. I love the dynamic. I love working in a team. So what I saw the unmet need was people are going to a nutritionist over here and they have that and they're thinking of that in a whole separate category. And then they have their crew that they're working out and that's totally separate. And then they're asking their peers, oh, should I get a massage? What should I do? And then how do I set goals? And it was just like, somebody needs to put all this together. Like, why are we separating all of this? You know, our wellness should be about our wellness and we shouldn't think about it independently. In fact, we should think about it almost being like the tires of a car or the wheels on a, on a centipede. Like they're all holding us up and we're all, we should focus on them all equally. I got to get people to understand that meditating is as important as going for your 45 minute run or lifting your weights and what you're eating is just as important as taking a day off or getting a massage. And I said, well, why don't I do this? Why don't I try this? Why don't I try it? doing an online program. And this is before I created Lifted, the one that you're in now. I just did a different sort of program where we met once a week and we talked about stuff. And then I had my live program in New York City, which was about 15 to 20 women who became diehards. And they were totally into it. And we would spend 15 to 20 minutes on Tuesdays about nutrition, about recovery. And then I went for a little vacation uh, in March down to the Dominican Republic, uh, thinking I was going to take a couple days off. And uh, the pandemic hit, and everybody's like, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do without you? And I created Lifted, as you know it now, which are live workouts where we work out together. Uh, We have a hub where we keep all of our information. We have recovery videos there. Um, I have suggested equipment there. Um, They get the links to all their workouts there. They can communicate as a community together there. And then on Monday nights, we have our huddles, which is always a topic uh, and an education for people about recovery, goal setting, nutrition, meditation, mindset. So I feel like I did exactly what was missing. I'm bringing together all the parts of wellness and giving people not only the tools, but a community to talk to others about it and surround themselves with like-minded people. That's such a great story. You know, when the pandemic hit, everyone was scared. You know, we're, I think it's still very scary. We're sheltering in place. We don't have community. We're out of our routines. We don't have the same environment. And right around that time, I was exploring behavioral change. And it really started, the genesis was with leadership coaching. I'm working with a coach to be a better leader at work as a a medical device executive. And a lot of it was centered around different types of behaviors. And so if you can identify behavior patterns and then understand whatever fear or connection to identity or worth that behavior could be anchored in, very practical different than say psychoanalysis or psychotherapy where it's like why did i why did i need to achieve why do i why why am i so driven for success very different and what i started becoming really worried about from just a macro public health matter is depression anxiety nutrition sleep you know what i think a lot of us would combine as wellness and in the medical device medtech biopharma space so much of what we develop is treating a patient, helping clinicians treat patients when their disease is really progressed. Uh-huh. And so 
if you're going to get a knee replacement, you know, something happened leading up to that. Or if you're going to take medication for brain health, or you need a stent because your heart, your coronary arteries are clogged. So many of, I mean, that's so many, I would say every surgical device that I've ever seen or been aware of is its FDA indication is you have to first fail conservative care. And conservative care, I interpret as lifestyle modifications and behavioral change. And so when I went from being a spectator drop-in on the lifted program, yeah. the timing was unbelievable because it was like a connection of what I think is really missing. And it's coupled with this idea of a community and the, the huddle concept, which I was talking to someone that's familiar with the addiction and recovery space. And there are similarities to the fellowship underpinning of 12-step programs. There's an accountability and, and it also can scale. Like all the, so many of the people on our team could do a class in a pinch if they were, you know, in their community without internet. Yeah. And so I look at all this and I, it's why I was so excited to invite you. And I'm thrilled that you agreed to be on the, the episode because I think there is a missing link here and with what you're doing. And I want to talk about your app with the time we have left, but what you're doing to leverage technology so that you can deliver at scale and which I think is a very powerful combination, bringing people who right now may be isolated, but maybe are isolated after this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has access to the people that have the same ideas and really incorporate all these areas of wellness that you described in the healthcare space, clinicians being able to combine that offering and then with mobile devices and subscription models, making it accessible. I think it's going to be really transformative. Tell us uh, what are the future plans for Lifted and where do you see this going in the next five years? I'm so happy with the program as it is. And we've I've had so much growth over the last five months. It's just been constant behind the scenes working. For example, when we grew to over 50 members, some of the original members said, oh, you know, we're starting to lose the intimacy, the feel. I mean, they were spoiled. They had to be live, you know, with just 10 of us. So I was like, all right, guys, let's just calm down a little bit here. But what we started doing is we started having uh, squad leaders. And we call them gem squad leaders. And, and where gem comes from is um, each day I encourage my members to list their gems, which is their gratitude, their exercise for the day, how much meditation they got for the day and how much sleep. Because these things are the foundation of your other 23 hours of your day. Um, so our gem squad leaders then take our, they have a group of people. So as, as much as I scale, I still want you to feel like you can intimately connect with a group. In that way, I think it's not a Peloton. You're not riding with 10,000 other people in a class. You have 10, 15 people who are in your squad. And at any point you can lean on them and talk to them. And you have a leader that's gonna connect you to me. So I'm super happy with that. We also went to uh, getting off Facebook where we were originally posting and having our own little hub now. Um, and I know one of your questions was what technology you're using right now that's is interesting to you. And we're using Kajabi which is more of a course production, uh, but we used it as a meeting place for everybody to be there, post what they're doing, being able to house like our different uh, uh, workout videos. So it's become more uh, uh, brick and mortar for us. Um, and, uh, you know, my hope is to, 
double, triple, quadruple my members over the next six months. Uh, I think when summer ends, people are going to be looking for solutions. I also think everybody thought it was going to be over in July, over in September, over. So people are going to be looking for some more long-term solutions. Um, and outside of that, uh, I'm, I'm creating an app. Uh, it's going to launch in uh, early September or late August. And this is going to give you on-demand uh, lifted classes, short format. I know a lot of people are... Uh, challenge with time. So you get anywhere from 10 minute focused workouts, 20 minute, 30 minute yoga, which is taught by my partner, Jennifer. She's the yin to my yang. She's uh, into Reiki and essential oils and yoga. I'm the uh, hardcore athlete who's going to give you the hit and the weights and the aggression. And <laughs> um, so together, we're really excited to launch this app. Uh, we're going to be running a special uh, $99 for a year or $9.99 a month when we launch it. So I'm excited for the reach that we'll have um, in addition to what we're offering with our more high-touch program of Lifted that you're involved with. And so the, the offering, there's the, the Lifted program and, and then the app is coming soon. And for people that are interested, where's the best place to find the Lifted book? Book you can find on Amazon, and that'll definitely give you a lot of my background, a lot of where the program came from, a lot of the reasons why I incorporate meditation, a lot about goal setting. There's a ton of recipes in there, my pillars on nutrition, why I feel the way I do about the nutritional plan I've chosen. Um, and you have a program in there as well. So it's 28 days, a little bit clearer, a little bit stronger, a little bit happier. Um, that you can do and you can follow along there just to get a little taste of uh, what you might get in two of my other programs. You've been doing so much. You're extremely busy for the listeners. Holly's website is holly, H-O-L-L-Y dot life. And so if you want to follow all the progress, learn more about the Lifted program, links to the book and the coming soon app, the Lifted app that will be a subscription, please check her out at holly.life. And then which social is the best way to reach you? Instagram, which is just my name, Holly Rillinger. At Holly Rillinger. All right, excellent. Well, Holly, we're going to wrap up the interview. I wish we could talk about so many other things. One, one of the things is I do know that there's a number of, of men in your crew. I did notice it's predominantly women. You've been coaching women and that's excellent. For a listener that is a man and is interested in joining the program, do you expect the male audience to grow and, and how will that affect the program? Yeah, you know, I think that group fitness is predominantly women. It just is live. So I think a lot of guys just like to go do it on their own, you know. But I do think that, and you can attest to this, I'm sure, it's a challenging workout. The, the biggest thing I see is that people's husbands jump in and they're like, whoa, that's tough. Definitely. Like, we're not, we're not doing a bar class here. We're not doing a cardio dance workout. We're, this program is built on good old-fashioned weight training, just arranged in a variety of different programs. It's never the same. It's always different. I think that I hope to see more of a male demographic in our groups, too. It's always nice to have a mixture. I've enjoyed having you there and Charles, who was there sometimes as well couple other guys. So the, guy, the male listeners who are there, we are offering you 50% off of a drop-in class. So use it, come visit it, see what it's about. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the intensity of the workout. I can attest to that. And then the incorporation of the stretching, and I'm looking at heart rate throughout the workout, the meditation where you're trying to get, be able to control your breathing. But to your point, the weight training part, I got stuck because I used to always work out by myself and I do the same exercises, same muscle groups. And if I'm honest, not enough legs. Anyway, I don't want to sound like too much of an infomercial, but 
it is the hardest workout I've done. And it makes me feel like I'm in college again, which is fun. That's great. I love that. And we'll include this in the show notes, but the promotion, the code word is unmet need. And so we'll include a link in the show notes for anyone that wants to try a first session. And so to wrap up, Holly, we'll do a lightning round. We call it go into the vault. And so I'm just going to ask you four questions and uh, you can just kind of go quick. So the first one is, in the last year, is there a book, piece of art, podcast, movie, song that you experienced and it's really had an impact on you and you're thinking about? Yeah, a documentary, Generation Wealth. Other than your parents, who is someone that saw your potential early in your career and your life and really acted as a mentor for you and had a big impact? My strength and conditioning coach in college, Greg Warner. What is one technology tool, could be software, app, that you just started using in the last six months or so that's had a profound impact on your ability to reach people and run your business? Kajabi. And the last question, in your pursuit of helping so many people and building the Lifted Empire, what is your biggest unmet need for your business? Yeah, so to all you VCs out there, a platform that's not Zoom, that really caters more to the fitness community because this really isn't, it's a, it's a meeting place. It's not the software meant for that. So where you could have a microphone, you can integrate music, you could have a timer, you could break out into groups and the music still goes into the groups. Like something that would really create a virtual studio as a coach and as an instructor, I don't have that right now and I've looked for it, it's not there. Could you ever envision yourself raising capital to build out Lifted Faster? Absolutely. Well, Holly, thanks so much for going to the vault. It's been great having you as a guest. Thanks for being on Unmet Need. Ah, this is so fun. Thank you so much, Jeff.